Find out how CEOs can increase the value of innovation. Our guest today says it's time to start a movement that transforms how innovation is managed. Join us for episode 191 of Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of success. On the web at businessadvance.com. And now, here's Pam and Scott. Thanks, Chris. I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. And sitting right across from me, as always, is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hi, Scott. Hi, Pam. It's great to join you again for another episode of Growth Igniters Radio. And as always, our purpose is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas to help visionary leaders to accelerate themselves and their companies, of course, to their next level of game-changing innovation, transformation, and growth. And Pam, speaking of transformation and growth, CEOs and C-suite executives in established companies, you know, those that are well beyond startup, they often ask us, how can we increase the ROI of our innovation? I think this question comes up so much because on the one hand, top leadership is asked to invest in innovation. Of course. Right? However, there's not necessarily a clear connection between investing and the tangible value creation that their many stakeholders care about. Now, this is an issue. And the farther away you are from the cutting edge of where innovation supposedly is happening, the harder it is to see that. But one thing is clear, Pam. It's critical for CEOs and top leaders to recognize the essential role that they really do play in shaping innovation and transformation for their company's success. That's why we're glad to be speaking today with Tendai Vicky, an award-winning author and corporate innovation expert. As associate partner at Strategizer, he works with companies to develop their internal ecosystems so they can innovate for the future while managing their core business. Yeah. He's written three books, The Corporate Startup, The Lean Product Lifecycle, and his latest, which we're going to be talking about today, Pirates in the Navy, How Innovators Drive Transformation. Now, just a little bit more about Tendai. He previously served as Director of Product Lifecycle at Pearson, where he co-developed an innovation framework that won Best Innovation Program 2015 at the Corporate Entrepreneur Awards in New York. Tendai has been shortlisted for the Thinkers 50 Innovation Award and was named on the Thinkers 50 2018 radar list for emerging management thinkers to watch. He's also a regular contributor at Forbes. You can read much more about Tendai by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 191, and scrolling down under resources. Tendai, welcome to Growth Igniters Radio. Hey, Scott. Hey, Pam. Thank you for having me. So it's, it's a real pleasure to be here. You know, it's funny. There's so much about innovation. You know, you, you gather a group of people who talk about innovation. We all have different definitions. But when we came across you and what you were talking about and reading Pirates in the Navy, we said, you know, there's a kindred spirit here. Absolutely. So tell us a little more about you and what prompted you to write your book, Pirates in the Navy. So, I mean, you know, people often say that, you know, scars are beautiful. 
<laughs> so Pirates in the Navy is my scars of beautiful book, right? You know, it's a uh, kind of all the lessons I've learned from making all kinds of mistakes while trying to bring innovation inside large organizations. And what really prompted me to sort of write the book is, you know, the role that leadership can have in making sure that they establish a repeatable innovation ecosystem within their organizations. Mm -hmm. um, and it was Steve Jobs, right, who said, it's better to be a pirate than to join the Navy. And he wasn't making this distinction between like startups and how fast moving they are and large companies and how slow right. moving they are, right? But we all know that, you know, these days, you know, large companies also have to innovate. Otherwise, they get disrupted and they're unable to sort of sustain their success over time. Absolutely. And so it becomes really important that leaders are able to cultivate a group of innovators that I'm calling pirates in the Navy. And so the book is really just about how to do that and also how then those pirates in the Navy can drive transformation that is sustainable within the organization. Okay, now you state that uh, corporate innovation is a paradox, and we've all heard that, oh, big companies can't innovate. You don't think that's true, but you do say it's a paradox. How does this impact the value of innovation over time in established companies? Yeah, the paradox. I remember once, I think it was an article that I saw somewhere that said uh, corporate innovation is like elephants trying to do ballet. Right. Ah. right? And then I was recording an interview with Thinkers50, and it was on YouTube and I said, you know, they asked me, how would you describe what you do? And I said, you know, I help elephants do ballet. Mm -hmm. And then like my six-year-old was watching that and he took it literally. He was like, really, dad, you ah. work with elephants. So, so in one sense, right, the success that an established company sort of, you know, accomplishes becomes the, the very barrier against developing a really great in innovation process. Like yeah. it is the imperative of the CEO the board and all the leaders in the organization to make sure that they're scaling the success of whatever they've found, right? Right. Steve Blank has got really strong perspectives about why founders of startups get fired mm -hmm. because you get to, to a certain point where all that chaos is no longer useful. You now need to actually systematize the work that you're doing so that you're able to actually then sort of harvest the value that you've created, right? Or, you know, exploit the value that you've created. You need mm -hmm. people who can build systems for scaling, systems for hiring, systems for managing logistics and, and all types of things that organizations need. Now, the problem with those systems is that they're designed for delivering against a known business model with a known customer and repeatable processes. Right. Whereas innovation is about exploring the unknown. And so when we're asking a company whose processes are designed for executing the known to start turning its attention to exploring the unknown, then you're dealing with a paradox. And those two things are equally important. And so they have to be world-class at executing their current business model, and they also have to be world-class at exploring new opportunities. And that tension really starts to impact the value of innovation over time. And the way that leaders do that is by, rather than creating a complementary capability to drive innovation, the first thing they try to do is to manage innovation using their current processes. And once they start to do that, they start to sort of trim down how crazy their explorations can become. Because if you're using traditional metrics to manage innovation, then your teams will only ever work on safe bets. And what mm -hmm. are safe bets? Mm -hmm. Stuff that you've always done. So, right, exactly. So you end up stuck in that loop, right? And that's how you can decrease the value of innovation over time. And yet, in your book, and we certainly have seen, there are these incredible people, entrepreneurs, that are visionaries, who are innovators, who are able to transcend all of this. Tell us a little more about how you see that. 
Yeah, so it's been really interesting, right? Because over the last decade or so, I think, we really celebrate the entrepreneur, you know, the Steve Jobs, Mm -hmm. the Mark Zuckerberg, the Bill Gates, like... We really celebrate them. And the more brash the entrepreneur like Elon Musk, the more we love it, right? We're like, yes, these people are brash, right? They're disrupting and they're, mm-hmm. and, they're, and they're creating new change within the world. Now, what's interesting about that is that we tend to under-celebrate the role of entrepreneurs that are, you know, the innovators that are working inside large corporations. And what we also tend to do is we tend to advise entrepreneurs to conduct themselves as if they're entrepreneurs. And they can't. No, they can't do that, right? The only way you can create value as an entrepreneur with innovation is to pick up all the great techniques around creativity, innovation, you know, coming up with breakthrough ideas, testing Mm -hmm. those ideas, you know, customer focus, all of those things. You need to pick up those techniques from entrepreneurs, but you need to leave the brashness at the door. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a different world. It's a totally different world. I I do this survey in some of my workshops where I ask people, what's the number one characteristic of the successful entrepreneur, Uh, you know, a corporate innovator working inside a large Mm -hmm, organization? mm -hmm. And I give them the list, you know, being inventive, being focused on customers. And then the last thing I put in there is political acumen. Mm. (laughs) Yes. And most of the time, people ignore the political acumen piece. But actually, that is the superpower of the entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's something that uh, when I worked in uh, as a corporate innovation leader, uh, I learned that the hard way. But uh, eventually I did learn and we were actually incredibly successful at doing new stuff in a v- in very well established companies. Scott was an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> but and yet, and he was yet. A pirate in the navy. He yeah. was, he was. And yet there's this other thing where we I've gone to any number of conferences. I lead conferences and I hear a frustration from the people who are CEOs and others in the C-suite where there's a feeling of we're not sure what to do with and I, I put this in quotes, these people. Um, <laughs> yeah, those I know, people. those yeah. people yeah. sometimes, these people, which is we want them to do well. We, we want them to stay. We want them to do well. We want them to provide a return on investment. Create value. Yeah. Create value. And I feel like there's a real thirst from everything we're seeing. There is a thirst and a recognition that we need to do something. I'm, I'm speaking now as a CEO, we need to do something. So what is the most important way that you see that CEOs, C-suites, and boards who are becoming increasingly interested in what's going on throughout the organization can increase the value of innovation? Yeah, absolutely. And that's really fascinating because what we're noticing, even in my own work, is, is this gap, right? CEOs yeah. and boards and people that are working in C-suites really recognize the value of, of innovation. They mm-hmm. really want to start, you know, driving innovation more and, and they really recognize the value that it can contribute to growth. So there's an aspiration towards creating more innovation. And then you turn around and you ask them about the innovation capabilities in their organization and they're less satisfied with the innovation yeah. capabilities they've got. So this exactly. gap is what we're really trying to bridge, right, with, the, with, yep. with, with your question. Mm-hmm. And so the core principle that we tend to sort of emphasize is that as leaders, as, as the CEO, as the, as the, you know, the, the CTO, whatever, or even as the board, you need to resist the urge to pick the winning ideas yourselves. Uh-huh. That's the first principle. Um, I often say to leaders, if you're going to get a tattoo, get that one that says, <laughs> I can't pick the winning idea on day one. 
And then look at it every day when you come to work, because we know that with innovation, the best way to get good ideas is to have loads of ideas. Like every single research that we have around creativity and innovation tells us that leaders cannot pick the winning idea on day one. Instead, what they can do is create the context in which the winning ideas emerge. Bingo. Yeah, right. absolutely. And so the question then becomes, what is that context and how do you build that context so that that context allows those people to actually thrive? <laughs> One of my favorite sayings is, when a flower fails to bloom, you don't start shouting at the flower going, grow, man. What you do is <laughs> yes. you start working on the, on the garden and the soil and the nutrients in the soil to see yes. if they're really supportive. And so that's the same thing that we want to do for our entrepreneurs and for our innovators is to st- really start asking ourselves, what are those enablers o- of innovation that we can create as, 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 as leadership? And what mm-hmm. are the blockers of innovation that we can sort of, you know, sort of start to sort of take down a- a- as leadership? And as we create those paths, we're much more likely to find that, you know, in- innovators become successful. Mm-hmm. So it's in that that tension between uh, what can we do and what's getting in the way. And you talk about some myths, and we're going to talk about that after the break. So we're going to cut to a quick break. And when we come back, we'll dig deeper with Tendai Vicky, corporate innovation expert and author of Pirates in the Navy, about some myths of innovation and how to overcome them. Stay with us. This is Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. We're brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated. And as always, we focus on enabling visionary C-suite leaders to accelerate the momentum it takes to create game-changing innovation, transformation, and growth. To everyone listening, welcome. We're glad you joined us. Whether it's because you're a subscriber or you just found us wherever you pick up your podcasts. But there's a special reason to visit growthignitersradio.com. This is the only way you can access all of the previous podcast episodes from over six years. It's also the only place you can find the unique show notes, bios, and resource links specifically related to each of our podcast episodes. Subscribe today by going to growthignitersradio.com. Click on sign up now. And to learn more about us and Business Advancement Incorporated, go to businessadvance.com slash about us. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. Today, Scott and I are speaking with Tendai Vicky, corporate innovation expert and author of the book Pirates in the Navy, about the role CEOs can play in increasing the value of innovation in their companies. Tendai, how can people find out more about you, your company, and your book? Yeah, so you can learn more about me, the company, and the book by going to tendaiviki.com. That's just my name, tendaiviki.com. Um, and that's where you can learn more about me um, and the and the work that I do. And then if you want to hire us for, you know, doing work, consulting, advisory, it's strategizer.com. And strategizer is, you know, with a Z-E-R at the end. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's you know, strategizer.com. And I work with Alex Osterwalder over there. That's right. And you are coming to us today from London. It's actually where you're based, correct? Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm based out of London. Yes. Yep. See, innovation is right there. Who would have imagined, say, Eh, 30 years ago that we'd be doing something like this. So innovation comes in lots of forms. And yet there are still a lot of myths out there. Let's talk about a few of them. 
one of them particularly has to do with the myth around strategic alignment. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, before the break, right, we were having a conversation about how CEOs can increase the value of innovation. Yep. And, we, and we were talking about how they can, they can you know, create the context in, in which the best ideas emerge. And one of the biggest problems that we tend to have with innovation or with innovation teams is that, you know, leaders are not giving them clear strategic guidance about what they should work on. So innovators are often unsure about whether the stuff they're working on actually matters to the company. And we all know that, you know, as an innovator, if you're working on something that doesn't matter to the company, it doesn't really matter how cool it is. It'll be hard to scale it when it, mm-hmm. when it becomes time to become successful. So one of the myths that we have around this sort of topic is, you know, I've met corporate innovation heads who will say to their teams, my job is to let a thousand flowers bloom, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not really the job, right? You know, I mean, that's not even good for a garden, right? You don't want to like, I'm going to let a thousand flowers bloom in my garden. You want to yeah. create your, you, know, you want to curate your garden and make sure that you're putting the right flowers in there that fit your design perspective or the soil or, or, or the area in, in which you live or even like the aesthetics of your house. Yeah. So the question is, you know, what are the innovation guidelines that we can give our teams so that they're not working on any random interesting idea, but rather they're working on things that are actually going to be ultimately valuable to the organization. So what's really interesting about what you're saying is if you go back to the premise of our episode, which is people want more ROI on their innovation. And yet at the same time, if it's not aligned with the strategy, how could it possibly provide that ROI, right? Yeah, exactly. If it's not aligned with, well, I mean, if it's not aligned with strategy, we don't even know whether it, it I, I don't even know how you would then measure ROI at, at all. I don't even know what the hook could be. Like, where, where, where would you start? I guess you could say that, you know, and I've met people who say this, like, as long as it generates revenue, it, it, it's actually fine. But, you know, there's an opportunity cost to that, right? Which is if yeah. you're chasing this this idea and then you're chasing the next idea, you're chasing the next idea. You never as an organization develop deep expertise in any particular arena. Right. You know, you, you don't really study deeply any trends. I think mm-hmm. there's even research that shows that, you know, venture capital firms that use the bucket methodology of, of investing, mm-hmm. where they just chuck things in a bucket. Right. You know, they go, yeah, we work in AI or whatever. So whatever AI startup comes up, they invest in it. Those venture capital firms get less returns yeah. versus venture, venture capital firms that have a clear investment thesis. So they have yep. a theory about how AI is going to impact the world or whatever area they're thinking about. And then they develop a deep expertise in that. And then they invest in startups that are an expression of that thesis. Yeah, so focus, yeah. focus, focus, focus is, is so important. Yes. And yet you can't be so tightly focused on what you're doing now that you strangle the innovation. It has to be what are the next big needs that aren't currently being met that are out there that we can meet that still fall within our sandbox, right? Exactly. And that's the paradox of innovation, right? People think that when you say innovation and creativity, we mean Mm free-for-all. But that's not what we mean, right? We mean strategic guidance. And then when people hear strategic guidance, they hear uh, core business. But that's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about future-facing strategic guidance, right? Where's the world going? Where do we see our company in that world? And how can we use innovation to respond to the changes that are happening in the world? Mm-hmm. And yes. as you get more clarity on that, you're then able to give innovation strategy guidance. And that becomes the basis upon which you select projects, you supervise teams, and you measure the ROI that you, we were talking about earlier. That's a good point. So I think it's encouraging, though. We are seeing more companies that are starting to take that approach. Wouldn't you agree? 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, I've been involved in a lot of projects myself now with the, with our various clients where we do what we call a strategy sprint, yep. where we spend like a month, you know, just reviewing the world, reviewing their business model. We have a tool that we call, you know, the disruption risk assessment, right? We evaluate their business model, evaluate the, the you know, all, any disruption risk that's seeing emerging in their markets, and then start coming up with a thesis about, you know, how do we want to respond? And then only after that do we then say, okay, let's start doing ideation. And here's the canvas within which we're going to be painting, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're not painting a, in any canvas, you're really basically doing graffiti. Yeah. Now, this is what you're just talking about is in direct opposition to something that many of us in big companies have seen. And you've gotten up on your soapbox any number of times talking about innovation theater, <laughs> and, yeah. and what that actually does. Let's define that, yeah. okay, what, for people us, who are not as familiar with that term. Tell us something about that and, and what it does to innovation in reality. Yeah, so that's a really interesting one, right? Because there's a certain coolness factor to innovation that's kind of undeniable, you know? Like, some of the stuff that we do is really cool. You know, the, the ideation jam, you know, the sticky mm-hmm. notes, mm-hmm. The, you know, the whiteboards, uh, the, the, the foosball tables, the bean bags, you know, the really cool rooms that we work in, the hackathons with the pizza night, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. And right. And so if you're on the outside looking in, you start to think, oh, this is really cool work. I'd like to get involved in this. And what you forget is that all of those methodologies were designed to be in service of creating value. Right. They're not yep. just right. to do for fun in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. All of those concepts and practices, you know, the way that IDEO do their work, the way that we as strategy to do our work, we do that in service of helping companies create value. And so if you just engage in an in ideation competition and, and then you announce the winner and then everybody goes home and nothing happens to those ideas, you've engaged <laughs> in innovation theater. Sure. Like the, yeah. like the competition was cool. If you have a hackathon and everybody drinks pizzas and, and, and then they have their beers or whatever and it's, and, it, and it's all good. And then after the hackathon, everybody goes back to their cubicle. You've engaged in, in innovation theater. You haven't really done anything that's, that, that creates value for the organization. And so we define innovation theater as things that look like innovation when people are doing them, but ultimately create no value for the organization. Rita McGrath has an even better definition where she says, you know, innovation theater is this excessive focus on ideation without thinking about how to take those ideas to become successful in the end. Yeah, in actuality, we've defined innovation as creativity put into action. It, right. It's not new, it's, and it's, but it's not reduced to practice. It's not innovation. Exactly. It will be very disillusioning to some people. I know of uh, a company, for instance, that has an innovation room or two, mm-hmm. large company, and they have a lock on the door. <laughs> and so it leads to, okay, here's my thinking. Uh, who's allowed to be innovative? It's a, right. it's a little bit like there's a lock on the door to the restrooms. Now there's a <laughs> lock on the door to the innovation room. You know, does purchasing get in there? Or is purchasing not allowed to be innovative? It raises a lot of strange questions when you do things like that. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, you saw it locked, which is pretty cool. I, I've just walked, this is, the, this is even worse, right? Where the innovation room is not locked, but nobody wants to go in there. Yeah, so, so, we've seen so, that too. So we've seen it's that like, too, right? It's like it's it's, it's just empty, and right. they built it right. But 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 building that room was never going to create any innovation in the sense that 
the organization itself is still putting pressure on people to meet their P&L numbers for yep. Q2, right? Yeah. Right, and, and so it's well-intended, yeah. of course, but it just sends a strange message. Like if you walk out of the innovation room, you're you not cease innovative. to be right. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and if you don't have a sticky note, you're definitely not yeah. innovating. Right, got it. And that's yeah. where building innovation into the lifeblood of the company. And it's not just innovating products and services, it's innovating every single aspect of how work is done, how people come up with creating value in accounting, in purchasing, and whatever. That's innovation too. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes against another of the myths that you write about in your book, that big returns require big bets. You have to put a lot of resources into it or you're not going to get anything out. Yeah, so this one is one of my sort of, I don't know whether you can call it a pet peeve, but it's, it's definitely one of the things that I find interesting Yeah, in its sort of absurdity. I've been, in, I've been in organizations where leaders are complaining that, you know, their people don't know how to come up with great ideas. Like, nobody has brought me a 10x idea. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, well, first of all, it's impossible for you to know it's a 10x idea on day one, right? Yeah. And so, so there's, this, there's this idea that, you know, if innovation is being done right, you have to be making all these big bets. But actually, in innovation done right is making multiple small bets, testing those ideas really quickly, and, and, and then quickly identifying the winners. And then it is in the winners that you start investing more resources. And so it's really active portfolio management and a filtering process. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you think about Silicon Valley as an ecosystem, right, it does that almost naturally. Like venture capital firms, angel investors, they make multiple bets in, 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 in various companies. And then they, some of them, you know, use the one third rule. Like one third of these are going to fail. One third will bring mediocre returns, and we'll make all our money from one third of the ideas that actually become successful. And it's it's, it's in those ideas that they start making the bigger bets. So that's why you have, you know, seed funding, all the way to Series A funding, which is the big bet. Mm-hmm. In large organizations, a team can come up with an idea, create a business case, and get Series A level funding from day one. Mm-hmm. All right, and that's really a, and that's really a struggle. There's a phrase that Alex Osterwalder likes to use where he says, "If you invest such a large amount of money in an untested idea, what you've done is you've condemned the team to succeed." Mm-hmm. I like the juxtaposition of that, right? Like this wow. team is now condemned to succeed; they cannot fail. Yeah, yes. and so if, you know that really makes innovation hard to do because what you want to do is to make small bets that make it easier for teams to go, okay, we spent 25 grand on this. It turned out that there's nothing there. Customers don't want it. We can stop, mm-hmm. right? Whereas if you say we've already spent 3 million on it, you have to launch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you can blame sales for the failure. Yeah. Ah, yes, I, I, I can see that. So what we're getting at here is that in order to really create more value, get more value from your innovation, you need to clear away these myths. And there are others in the book that you describe. And then to implement some good ideas. And we're going to get to that. But first, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, Scott and I will speak more with Tendai Vicky, corporate innovation expert and author of the book Pirates in the Navy, about immediately useful ideas for leading more valuable innovation. Stay with us. You are listening to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. We're brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, where we focus on enabling visionary leaders to dramatically increase momentum for game-changing results. On the web at businessadvance.com. 
Have you ever wondered if there are so many CEOs who think it's important to lead for business transformation and long-term growth in a rapidly changing world, why can it be so challenging to break the orbit of the status quo? As an author and advisor to visionary CEOs who often face mysterious pushback to their big ideas, that was the question that sent me on a long search for answers. So, what's the secret of the great leaders? The visionary leaders I call growth igniters? The ones who are able to ignite game-changing growth over and over again? What's their secret? They're able to embrace the leadership paradoxes that can naturally emerge in uncharted territory. How do they do this? That's what I share in my keynote, how growth igniters lead for tomorrow, starting today. Go to pamharperspeaks.com today to find out more about Pam's keynote and her availability to speak at your next leadership conference. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Over the last two segments, Scott and I have been speaking with Tendai Vicky, corporate innovation expert and author of the book Pirates in the Navy, about the roles CEOs and top leadership can play in increasing the value of innovation in their companies. Tendai, remind us again how people can find out more about you, your company, and your book. Yeah, so tendaiviki.com, that's where you can find out more about me. And if you're looking to work with us, it's strategizer.com, where I work with Alex Osterwald. Okay, and you can also find links and other related information by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 191, and scrolling down to resources. We are at the point in this episode where we talk about how do we take all of this great information and distill it into immediately useful ideas that are going to help the CEOs and other top leaders who are listening to create an environment that leads to more valuable innovation. And uh, Tindai, let's start with the first idea. What's something immediately useful? I actually think that something that's immediately useful to leaders is connected to that concept that we spoke about earlier, which was we were saying that leaders cannot pick the winning ideas on day one, so instead they need to be making multiple bets. Well, then Mm -hmm. the question becomes, okay, well, how do I know which idea to then increase bets on, right? So, you know, how do you track, you know, the success of an idea to make sure that you're you're making the right choices? Okay. Mm -hmm. And what I often find is that leaders make, you know, those choices based on traditional metrics around business cases, right? But actually what matters in, in innovation, and this is the useful idea that I think c- c- can be really useful, is whenever you're looking at, it, at, a, at an innovation team as a leader, you must always ask yourself this question. How close is this team to finding a business model that works? Uh-huh. Great. And so that question raises other questions, right? Which is you have to start thinking beyond just the roadmap and the technology they're working on. You have to start thinking, have they discovered something that customers find valuable? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. If somebody were to just stop at this point and say, let me get this down, what's the next thing they would do? Reach out to customers or? Exactly. So, they- so if they have a great technology, but they still haven't validated whether or not there's a real customer need, well, that's the next thing they need to do because 
you're as far away from finding a business model that works as you can be if all you have is technology, yeah. <laughs> right? But if you have technology that you know customers want and a solution that resonates, you can then move on to other questions around pricing or channels or mm-hmm. how, to, how to scale, which are also you know, important questions for finding a business model that, that actually works. If you were in an, a large established company, maybe coordinating more with the people in marketing too, who've likely done some of this research... Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's and not only coordinating with, with people in marketing, uh, which is really interesting because they give you really great market insights. Mm-hmm. I often also insist that the team themselves go and look in the whites of the eyes of the customer. Yeah, because I find yes. it, it's really yes. hard to become an advocate of the customer if you've never met the customer. Yep. Right, you mm-hmm. end up getting stuck in arguing about your own technology and what feature should go where. Mm-hmm. But the question is, is that feature really creating value for whom? What are we helping customers accomplish? Right. That is basically the route in which you start that journey towards finding something that works. So Very good. it's a yeah, really key so, thing in, in, in terms of leadership. So as the CEO, it would be encouraging and nurturing a culture that would enable people who are innovators to actually make those trips to go out of the office to mm-hmm. re- reach out to these people to zoom with them yeah and create the context for the innovation so that it's relevant yes. right exactly Absolutely. good exactly so tendai great idea there how about a second immediately practical idea so the second immediately practical idea that i have is it's more for the entrepreneurs right okay and so Entrepreneurs are really interesting that in the sense that they try and isolate themselves. Sometimes. Right? So, sometimes. sometimes. Yeah. So sometimes. Not, not, not you or me, Scott. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> okay. They do try to, uh, to isolate themselves, yes. Yeah, in the sense that they want to protect their babies, right? They right. don't want the corporate antibodies killing their babies too yeah. soon. Yeah. And so they try and like, you know, avoid contact with leaders, etc. Mm-hmm. And so the immediately useful idea for them is that you cannot do this on your own. Yeah. It is virtually impossible, Yeah, right? You have to collaborate with others. You have to build what we call the bridge between your innovation team and the core business. Absolutely. Right? And I've worked with entrepreneurs who are like, no, I'm not talking to anybody in the core business. I'm going to work on my idea. And then as soon as I'm done, if nobody wants to scale it, we'll just spin it out. And I'm like, okay, sure. Like, that's as easy as it is, right? Like, it's even harder to, <laughs> to spin things out because now yeah. you've got corporate finance involved, you've got legal involved. Like, yeah. there is no avoiding the core business. So building that bridge to the core is something that really, really matters, I think. Okay, so I'm trying to think. A CEO or a top leader can do some things within the corporate culture, uh, uh, making it easier for innovators, the entrepreneurs, to reach out and have other parts of the organization reach back. Without squashing them. Right. Are you seeing more of that? Are you doing more work with that? Yes. So as part of that, right, the key takeaway for, for leadership is that, you know, can you create a culture in which innovation is legitimate? Mm Mm-hmm. I was just on a call right now with a, with a really great you know, in, innovator who's trying to drive innovation in, in one of the big financial organizations. And he was saying that you know, whenever somebody from finance or somebody from IT or somebody from compliance creates a process and says to the organization, this is the process we're going to follow now. 
right? Very few people argue against that, right? They go, okay, yeah, that's the compliance guy. They know what they're talking about. Let's do what mm-hmm. they're saying, right? But if you're, an, if you're an innovator and you go, we've built this really great innovation process, he says, I get emails from everybody going, ah, interesting, but here's what you should really do, right? <laughs> <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, so it, it, innovation is like, it, it doesn't have legitimacy or power, which then makes it harder for innovators to collaborate with the core business, right? They face, they face much more re- resistance. And so mm-hmm. one of the questions we often ask is, where does innovation sit on your org chart? Yes, that goes back to that comment about those people. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it better not be those people. You know, exactly. those people are our people. It is us. Exactly, yeah. and 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 what and what we've seen is that, like with innovation, sometimes a person is called the head of innovation, but what what but the head of innovation reports to the VP of marketing. Yeah, the VP of marketing reports to the chief marketing officer. Then the chief marketing officer reports to the CEO. So the head of innovation is four levels into the organization. Mm-hmm. They don't have legitimacy and power and, and, and influence. So it, may, it then makes it hard for them to build this, this, this bridge to the core. And so leaders should really be creating, you know, this legitimate, yeah. legitimate environment for innovators to actually thrive. Yes, yes. So what about a third immediately useful idea? Right. So a third immediately useful idea is I often say to leaders that um, – your team has a philosophy or, or a point of view about who you are, right? Like as you're leading your team, they're telling each other what they need to do or what they need to say mm-hmm. in order to influence you to make the decisions that support them, right? And so the question is, are you creating a culture that is conducive for, 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 for innovation? Now, when the moment people hear culture, and that's where the useful takeaway is, when the moment people hear culture, they start to think about culture as some mythical vibe that comes down from the mountain to bless the people, right? They, they think of culture as like, you know, yeah, let's create this, you know, this beautiful event or whatever, right? That's what they think about when they think about in, in, innovation culture. Yeah. But really, culture in most organizations is really driven by what we celebrate and what we punish. Yeah. Right. And so the question is, what are we celebrating and what are we punishing? Have we created a culture in which we celebrate the success of hitting your sales goals for Q1? And we punish teams that fail. Mm-hmm. If we do that, then everybody will start to view innovation as career suicide and they won't right. engage in it, right? And so when people are talking about an innovation culture, they forget that the role of leadership is to first create the context in terms of like what they reward and what they punish. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. And so how can we build the right incentives for people to innovate? That's really what the message I'm driving home there. And the CEO has so much influence on that. Yes. In one of the panels that I led a while back, one of the CEOs on the panel said that he had created a what not to do award. Right. Think about this. You know, for innovation, what not to do, what to do, and what not to do. And everything was encouraged, you know. So yes, yes. I, I think that this idea of of being able to see what we are deliberately encouraging mm-hmm. and what we are indirectly discouraging even mm-hmm. uh, is very important. Exactly. So, um, when, when, yes. I, when I was working with the Lean Startup Machine, we had an award for innovators. We used to call it the Old Yeller Award. Yeah, I don't know. You know the movie where the guy. Sure. Yes. yes. Oh. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, oh no! <laughs> no, you don't shoot your own dog. Oh. <laughs> I'm kind of dating. Yeah. I'm kind of dating myself here too. Like oh. I know that movie. It's just yeah. the old time. Yeah. But, but, but what we say is we celebrate teams that voluntarily kill their own ideas after they discover that there's no value to be created for the organization. 
Yeah. And we mm-hmm. give them the old yellow award as a way right. to celebrate that decision. Well, see, there yeah. you go. Right. You just can't pull the trigger too fast. Correct. So you have to you have to know when it's time and when it's not yes, time. Yes, yeah. And it's also yes. evidence-based decision making, right? It's not right. just like, you know, we give up, but yeah. Yep. Right. So here we are. We're at the end of the episode. Do you have some final thoughts about how CEOs can increase the value of innovation? So when you when you combine all of these things together, right, you start to realize that the infrastructure of, of, of innovation is really important. I used to get myself in trouble a lot when I first started my career because I'd walk into organizations and say to them, you need to become more innovative. And, the t- and then the leaders would go, what do you mean? Like last year we launched that app, right, Jennifer? And then Jennifer would go, yeah, we launched the app and the app won an award. And, I, and back then I didn't have the language that I have these days, which yeah. is we want innovation to be repeatable. Sure, yes, you can do one-off projects here and there, one-off projects that, that, that become successful. But how do you make innovation actually repeatable? And you need leadership support to make innovation Uh repeatable you know how much time does the ceo spend on innovation if they spend less than 10 percent of their time on innovation that's a signal to the company that innovation doesn't really matter so you need that to make innovation repeatable you need a great organizational design that you know drives collaboration between all the different functions and only leaders can make that happen right and then you need a great innovation practice with the right tools and so Building the combination of all of these things is really the value that CEOs can do to increase the value the value of innovation. Otherwise, what you'll end up with is things that look like innovation, but it's really just your teams making things that are very similar to all the things you already do, right? And that's yeah. just efficiency, innovation, and tinkering at the tinkering right at the edges. You're not really, you know, expanding the potential of the ideas you could be working on and making them transformative. Yeah, right, exactly. Well, Tendai, thank you so much for being our guest on Growth Igniters Radio. We've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed the conversation too. Yes, indeed. Thanks, Tendai. And thanks to you out there for listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. To get show notes and resource links for this week's episode, go to growthignitersradio.com, select episode 191. Until next time, this is Pam Harper and Scott Harper wishing you continued success and leaving you with this question to discuss with your leadership team. What is one thing we can do starting today that can actually increase how our company's innovation efforts align with our vision and strategy to foster transformation and growth? Growth Igniters and Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper are registered service marks of Business Advancement Incorporated. All Growth Igniters Radio episodes are copyrighted productions of Business Advancement Incorporated, intended for the private use of our audience. Except as otherwise provided by copyright law, all other uses including copying, editing, redistribution, and publication without prior written consent of Business Advancement Incorporated are prohibited. All rights reserved.